Thank you for listening to a sermon from the District Church. For more information about us, please visit www.thedistrict.church. Additionally, if any of our sermons have brought encouragement to you, would you please let us know by emailing us at info at the district.church. <laughs> That's good. It's a good prayer so we could hear it again. Um, good morning, everyone. How are we doing? All right. We're, we're kind of good. Okay. Kind of thinking about it. Um, okay. Uh, my name is Josh. I'm one of the lead pastors here at the District Church. For those of you guys who don't know me, um, it is a joy. It's a joy and an honor to be up here this morning with you all, uh, to be able to come and worship. Um, Thank you, Lauren and Riley, for uh, singing and and leading us in worship. Um, And and I'm I'm happy to to be able to open up God's Word and hear His Word preached and to sing His Word with you all. So thank you for being here. Thank you for those online still joining us. Um, We are excited as we continue to slowly roll things out um, for you guys to join us soon. Um, and, and we are praying for that to happen. Um, we are continuing our series, Gospel Formed. Um, if you've been with us the last couple of weeks, we are taking a look at what it looks like to be molded and shaped by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if you remember from the first week, we talked about what is the foundation for our gospel formation, and that is the message of Jesus Christ. As Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 15, it is of first importance in our lives. And then last week, we looked at the model of this gospel formation. So if the central message or if of first importance is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the model in which we should live or pursue is going to be Jesus himself. And we looked at Philippians 2 and his humility, his sacrifice, his willing to not take equality with God, a thing to be grasped, but humbled himself and put on flesh and became a servant And ultimately, he took his service to the cross and died on our behalf. So this morning, if those two things are true, which we believe they are, otherwise I wouldn't be up here preaching it, those two things being true, that the gospel is the central message of our life, the model in which we should pursue and live is looking like Christ, then we're going to ask, what is the means? How do we do this? What is the source in which we drive everything from? And so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open with me to John 15. Uh, We're going to be looking at one of Jesus' last I Am statements uh, found in this passage. If you've been with us long enough, you know that John 15 is actually one of our church's foundational passages, right? Uh, A couple of years ago, we walked through the summer looking at John 15, verses 1 through 18. Broke it down verse by verse. It's, it's dear to our hearts. Um, Dwayne has written a few blogs on this passage itself of asking the question, okay, how are we to live as believers in Christ and taking a look at this specific passage here? It's one that we constantly run back to. It's very important to the ministry of the district church, and so I'm excited to be able to open up this passage with you. But before we jump in, and as you're moving towards there, I want to kind of lay some foundation for what's going on. In the book of John, we find seven I am statements. Seven I am statements where Jesus is showing us more of who he is, right? And if you have time this week, I would encourage you to read these I am statements or these I am passages. The first one you can find in John 6, where Jesus talks about being the bread of life. 
He tells his disciples, I am the bread of life, and in order to have life, you must eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. In John 8, he says, I'm the light of the world. In John 10, he says, I am the gate. And then he follows that up in saying, I am the good shepherd. John 11, he says, I am the resurrection and life. John 14 says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And then finally, in this last passage that we have in John 15, he has essentially the summary of all of these I am statements. He says, I am the true vine. And you must abide in me to have life. So in this passage, we have the summary of all that Jesus has said. And or as one pastor put it, we have the climax of all the I am statements here in the book of John. And together, Jesus is telling us all that he is in order to tell us all that he provides on our behalf. So let's jump into what Jesus has to say in this last final I am passage. Starting in verse 1, he says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples." As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. This is the word of the Lord. Let us ask him to bless this time and we can dive into Jesus' passage here. Lord, Thank you for your grace and your mercy that you show to us. That in Jesus we have a true vine, one that we can abide in, have a source of life in, that our joy would be full in. Lord, as we come to this passage and we take a look at what the means of gospel formation looks like, the the source of our gospel formation, what it looks like, Lord, help us to see this more clearly. Help us to treasure this. Help it to be rooted deep within us so that as we go about our days in this world, we can be lights. We can be the salt of the earth. We can be those who are shining light into dark spaces in order for the gospel to go forth because we understand the great grace and mercy that you've shown to us in Jesus. That you have made us clean because of his work on our behalf. Thank you, Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning, I only have one point uh, that I want to drive from, and that is this. The means of gospel formation is abiding in Jesus. It shouldn't be a shock to you, right? 
The means of gospel formation is abiding in Jesus. He is our source of all of life and joy. We see this in verses 4 and 5 as Jesus says these things, Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear much fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Everything in this world will leave you wanting. Right? Your spouse cannot be your source of life. Your kids cannot be your source of life. Your job, your security, your finances, your hidden sin cannot be your source of life. Now, all of it promises joy, but in the end can never truly satisfy and will always leave you wanting. And as Jesus says, without Him, you can do nothing. Now what that doesn't mean here is that you can't actually do good things. Right? You can give to causes. You can sacrifice your time for the needy. What it means here is that you can't do anything of eternal significance without being attached to the true vine without abiding in Him. Now this can be scary, right? Because if we're real, there are a lot of people who do a lot of good things that aren't connected to Christ. And when they come before the Lord, their works amount to nothing because they are not connected to Him. There's no eternal significance I'm gonna, I'll, I'll even make this even more personal for us, right? If I get up here and I preach and somehow this church begins to grow through my preaching until Dwayne comes back, right? And this church grows and we blow up and the district church's name is known all over Indianapolis. We get a huge budget. We get our own building, whatever it might be. If we're not abiding in Christ as your pastors, as your leaders, it amounts to nothing before the Lord. And while there will be fruit that is produced, it's not going to be lasting fruit. It's not going to be fruit connected to the true vine. And we can do this, right? We can start to rely on ourselves instead of the true source of life. It's so easy for us too. But why is this? Why is it that we try to separate ourselves from the true vine? Tony Morita says the main reason that people do not abide in Christ is that they are depending upon their own wisdom or their own strength. It's interesting that God gives us the gifts of wisdom and of strength, and instead of worshiping the gift giver, we try to find life and source in those gifts that he's given to us. So what, what do we do? I want us to draw from this passage that we need to abide in Christ. That the means of gospel formation starts with abiding in Christ. Now what we see here in this passage when Jesus says, abide in me, that, that word abide, we tend to think that it means to stay or to remain. And those are good word pictures for it. But if we're to truly get to the, like, the grassroots, right, the, the foundation of that word, what 
Jesus is saying here is dwell. Dwell in me. Dwell in me and I in you. We see this type of abiding in Scripture in two different ways. We see it eternally, and then we see it in our day-to-day living. Our daily abiding. So let's take a look at this first internal, eternal abiding. This idea or understanding what we would say is salvation. That we have been saved by Christ. You see this in verse 4. The strongest statement we have about abiding is this. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you. The beauty of the strength of this verse actually starts with verse 3. That even though this is a strong statement, the beauty that we have is that it follows verse 3. This is what Jesus says here. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Now what's interesting about Verse 3 is that Jesus is talking about abiding in this passage, right? He gives these metaphors of a vine and a vine dresser. He's most likely walking around a garden or at least in a place in which he can use word pictures that are surrounding him. So the disciples are going to understand what he's talking about when he talks about abiding and fruit and vines and vine dressers. And yet here in verse 3, he says, you are already clean because of the word that I spoke to you. Well, what is that word? What word makes them clean? Well, earlier I mentioned John 11 being another I am passage. Here's what Jesus says in John 11:25: I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. We see this in John 6 as well. He who believes in me. This is the message of the gospel that Jesus is giving to the disciples. Believe in me. This word, this gospel makes you clean. As Ephesians 2.13, as we read this morning, now in Christ, you who are once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. This is what makes us clean. Because of our sin, we were dirty. We were alienated. We were far off from God. And it's only by the blood of Christ that we can be brought near. It is only by the blood of Christ that we are made clean. It is only by the blood of Christ that we are made righteous before God. And if this is the reality that Jesus calls us to, to dwell in Him and that He dwells within us, then we need to be clean. And it's only through the Word of Christ that we are made clean. And then that overflows into our lives. Again, as we talked about gratitude this morning, one of the characteristics of believers should be gratitude because we were once far off and now we're made to draw near to the Lord, this should bring us a spirit of gratitude. We should be gracious and joyful. And we should pursue this life that Jesus calls to abiding in Him. So how do we abide in Him? One word. Faith. We abide in Jesus 
through faith and faith in the grace that he shows to us. R.C. Sproul says the essence of Christian theology is grace. And the essence of Christian ethics is then gratitude. We recognize that when we were far off, Christ saved us and brought us near. This is the grace that's been shown to us. And in this grace, we then should show gratitude because we have been given the greatest gift of all time. And in this gratitude, we have daily abiding. You see, this eternal abiding is the foundation in which we now live a life that is daily abiding and growing into the image of Christ. Our foundation for daily abiding, or as we've said here before, sanctification, the process in which we grow into the image of Christ, is rooted in our eternal abiding in Him, that we are made clean in Him. And we do this by exercising that faith. We daily abide by exercising our faith in Jesus. Colossians 2, 6 and 7, which actually gives a picture of abiding here. Paul writes, Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So how do we exercise this faith? I have two answers from this passage this morning. Gospel remembrance and gospel obedience. So how we exercise faith in the life of a believer is through gospel remembrance and gospel obedience. Turn with me back to verse 7. Jesus says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. The first way in which we exercise our faith is gospel remembrance. We remember what Jesus said to us, and we remember what he taught to us. Guys, we need to become experts in preaching the gospel to ourselves. I said this a couple of weeks ago. There needs to be two pastors in your life. The one that you hear on Sunday morning, and the one you hear throughout the rest of the week. That is you. Preaching the gospel to yourself. In one of my favorite books, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones writes, and this book is Spiritual Depression. It's a commentary on Psalm 42 and 43. He diagnoses why so many Christians flounder in their daily lives and experiences with God. And this is what he writes. Have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you're listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? The main art in the matter of spiritual living is to know how to handle yourself. You have to take yourself in hand. You have to address yourself. You have to preach to yourself. You have to question yourself. How right is he? Guys, nobody speaks to you more than you do. You realize that? Nobody speaks to you more than you do. And Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones tells us that because of this, we need to preach the gospel to ourselves, which means that we need to remember the gospel. Another way that we practice gospel remembrance is by embracing the means of grace. 
What do I mean by this? Well, 1 Corinthians 10.16 says, The cup of blessing that we bless is not a participation in the blood of Christ. The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? So it can sound a little bit weird, but what Paul is saying here is that participation in the bread and body of Christ is coming and gathering and communing with the saints and then communing with each other in taking the Lord's Supper. It's the breaking of bread and the spilling of Christ's body with the body of Christ. Now I know and I recognize that we don't have a full room in here. I recognize that because of the pandemic or what I would call providential hindrance, we can't do this as fully as we would like. I get that. I mourn because of that. And I pray that one day this room will again be full, singing together, praying together, hearing God's Word preached together. But that angst that we once felt, those three months where it was just me, Dwayne, and Jordan preaching in here to a camera, and you guys longing to be here, that angst is because as believers we are designed to participate in that means of grace. And when it's gone or when it's taken from us, we long for it. I used this example, and I think it works. When we weren't able to gather together, it was almost as if we were fasting from the Sunday morning gathering. Because we were longing for something and looking towards something that would finally come again. And we're still doing this until we can come and gather again. But one of the ways in which we do remember the gospel is by celebrating the means of grace together. How we approach the means of grace can help our remembrance. Whether it is the Sunday morning gatherings, whether it is our community groups, whether it's hearing the preaching of God's Word, it's communing together with the Lord's Supper, the singing of songs together, even the ones you don't like, singing together and hearing the people of God is what helps us remember the gospel. So, gospel remembrance is a way in which we exercise faith. But gospel obedience is another way in which we exercise our faith. Verse 10, Jesus says this, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. You cannot abide in Jesus' love and not be obedient to his commandments. As believers, one of the greatest lies that we believe and the devil tries to deceive us too is that God does not care about our holiness. That God does not care about our pursuit of what he calls good and right. Or worse, if we do these things, we're becoming Pharisees. Our pursuit of holiness doesn't stem from the understanding that if we obey, God will love us, right? Our understanding of holiness is that we obey because God has loved us. That's why I opened up with the eternal abiding, because that is the foundation in which we should then go and live, that our justification is proven when we abide and obey. Christ has done all that we need. He has promised to be with us 
And he has designed a way in which we are to live that brings about flourishment of joy and true happiness. Hebrews 12, 14 tells us this, Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness which no one will see the Lord. I'll read that again. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Strive for holiness. The devil likes to deceive us in any way that he can. And one of those ways is the pursuit of holiness. In that it is a waste of time, or worse, that we are becoming too much like the Pharisees in order to take our eyes off of obeying God's commands. Yet here Jesus tells us that if you keep my commands, you will abide in my love. The exercising of our faith in abiding in Jesus calls us to this pursuit of following all that God has commanded, not because of our works that justify us, but because our works prove that justification. And here's my fear when it comes to obedience. And if you've been around here long enough, you've probably heard me preach this before, so please don't, don't tune me out. We've been told, and even here this morning and at the district church in the past, that we are saved by nothing but grace. It is not our works that save us. And that is true. It is right. We praise the Lord because He saved us despite us and in spite of us. But some of us take this as a pass that we don't have to pursue holiness. I found with many in church, oftentimes we have a vain affections for the things of the Lord, which then lead us to be passive in our pursuit of holiness. Why? Why is this the case? Jesus tells us all the commandments of God are for our joy, that our joy would be full in Him. God is not the ultimate killjoy of our life. In fact, He's trying to give us the most joy and happiness out of life. So we need to take holiness seriously. We need to take the pursuit of God's commands seriously. And it starts with, as Solomon told us a couple weeks, now months ago, when we were walking through Ecclesiastes, it starts with the fear and awe of the Lord. And it flows into what Christians have done for 2,000 years. Spiritual disciplines. Opening God's Word. Praying. Jesus says this in verse 7. A part of abiding in Jesus is prayer. Fasting. Being in community with other believers. <clears throat> but it's also saying no to sin. It's taking the power of our salvation and putting sin to death. Our battle against sin is not something that we should take lightly or be apathetic towards. John Owen says, kill sin or it will be killing you. Genesis 4 shows us what sin is capable of. When God tells Cain, if you don't put this to death, it will seek to destroy you. That's why in Ephesians 6, Paul tells us to put on the full armor of God. He's not going to tell us to put a full armor of God on if we're not going into battle day in and day out. So this is what abiding looks like when we practice our faith. Gospel remembrance and gospel obedience. 
And then this abiding ultimately bears fruit. As Jesus shows us throughout this passage. But it does one other thing for us on our way to full joy. It prunes. So I want to take a look at these two things. So if you look to verses 2 and 5, we see what abiding initially produces. And it produces fruit. Jesus says, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Jump down to verse 5. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he is it. He it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. In verse 8, Jesus says, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. What Jesus is saying here is by bearing fruit, you reflect what you truly believe about God. Now I want to take a moment here and talk about this fruit that Jesus is mentioning, because for the longest time for me growing up in church, what I thought bearing fruit looked like was just a good prayer life, my evangelism, how often I went to church, how often I memorized scripture. And while those things are good and those things are right, those things are part of the spiritual disciplines that I just talked about, the Greek word for this phrase here has this understanding not of the mission of God through the church, but in fact of an individual's advancement in the fruit of the Spirit. And here's what Paul says the fruit of the Spirit is in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. This is the fruit that we should be growing in as we abide in the true vine. This is why it's important for God to transform our hearts because then this fruit is internal that we then produce to be external. And sometimes what I think we often see is that this list is something we can't ever accomplish. That it's too hard. It's for those who have quote-unquote made it as believers in Christ. You might think that because I'm up here preaching that I have made it. I'm, I'm going to tell you and I'm going to give you examples that I have not. Right? But this is what I as a believer in Christ, this is what I, I, I hope that you guys are doing is that we are abiding in the true vine in which then the fruit of the Spirit is evident in our lives. Spurgeon says about abiding in Christ that produces fruit. Here's the secret for us all. To dwell in communion with Jesus is to abide in the sunshine and to rest in his great love and atoning sacrifice is to nestle under the rock of ages. And to be shielded from every withering blast, nearer to God is the way of great fruitfulness. So abiding in Christ is what produces this internal fruit that grows those, that fruit of the Spirit that we have as believers in Christ. And this fruit then proves two things. It proves that there is life, right? As Jesus says, that those branches that are dying off, that aren't producing fruit, they're, they're dead and they get removed. So our fruit produces or proves that there is life, but our fruit also is for feeding. It's designed to feed others. Our fruitfulness in abiding in Jesus has impact on those around us. The sphere of influence that God has placed in our lives 
So the fruit isn't just for us, but it's for those in which we are surrounded by. So we bear fruit. And then the second thing that we see in Jesus' passage here is that abiding produces pruning. Now, I knew I was not going to get any amens for that, right? Nobody likes to be pruned. But here's what Jesus says. For every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. So here we see that pruning is to bear more fruit. It's, it's positive. It might not feel positive in the moment or in the season, right? But Jesus promises that it is so that you and I can bear more fruit. And this is a beautiful thing. Because if we're honest with ourselves, none of us are nailing it. Interestingly enough, um, in Israeli culture, here's how pruning would happen. Young branches were not allowed to grow fruit for three years and were cut back drastically to preserve life and energy. Mature fruits produced two branches, one with fruit and one without. And the branches that did not were cut back so that they would not drain away from the immature or the young vine's strength. Young branches didn't bear fruit for three years. They weren't even allowed to. And then, as they matured, they were cut away in order that they then could bear more fruit. What you see here in this process of bearing fruit is that it was a slow, drawn-out process in which there was pruning and growing and cutting back, pruning, growing, and cutting back. And it doesn't happen overnight. And this is the same with our Christian lives, right? Abiding in Christ is a lifelong process. It's not a silver bullet. It's the process of abiding, being pruned, bearing fruit, abiding, remaining, pruning, bearing fruit, and so on and so forth until God calls us home or He returns. And it's in order that your life might look like the man in Psalm 1, which says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits at the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates both day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that bears much fruit, and his leaf does not wither, and all he does he prospers. This is what pruning is meant for, to help us grow into this blessed man, this blessed woman, but we don't often see it like this. We don't often see it in this perspective because we live in a day and age where everything happens like that. If our phone doesn't bring up our web page in half a second, we get frustrated, right? If our Wi-Fi stops working for a moment, we're upset. If the route that normally takes us to work is two minutes longer than the day before, we get irritated. Oftentimes, God is even using these moments to prune us, to help us be more calm and trusting that we're not in control, 
I mean, it happened in my own life in these past couple of weeks where God cuts off a branch and I'm like trying to pull it back to my own self thinking this is my source of life. And I'll tell you how this happened. And my parents are watching, so it is what it is because I'm going to talk about them. But a couple of weeks ago, they were here. And it was, it was a great time. It was really fun. We got to golf. We got to go out and um, eat some good food around Indianapolis with the restaurants that were open. Um, great weather. But there was a couple of moments where I got frustrated at my parents. And here's why. Because they slowed down my schedule. You know how parents can come in and they can slow down your schedule, right? Like you have a way in which you're doing things and then all of a sudden they just want to relax. Nobody in here? Okay, that's fine. All right. You guys are going to have to repent after all this. But do you see how selfish that can be? And not just be, do you see how selfish that is that I would lose my patience because my parents, who, mind you, drove nine and a half hours from North Carolina to come visit me for a week, disrupted my routine? How crazy is that? That's a heart issue. That's a, that is fruit that is revealing a root in the tree of my life that is dug down deep into something that's not of the Lord. It still proves that I'm failing and that God is pruning me to reveal that. And yes, I, I had to go to them and, and repent. Hey, I'm, I'm sorry for the way I acted here. And that's the beauty of the gospel, right? Is that God would reveal in His mercy areas in our lives that need to be cut off and pruned and areas where we need to grow in. And God is still pruning I can remember two major seasons in my life where God ultimately pruned back or humbled me in areas that needed to be pruned. Season of cancer. That should be an obvious one for those of you who know me. But there, there in this season, the Lord was cutting away at things that were not looking like Christ and helping me see that the true source of my life is abiding in Him. Most of you know that this is not the first church plant that I was a part of here at the district church. My first church plant down in South Florida lasted for me about six months. And it was a season in which God was pruning me. I helped start this church plant, and then after six months, I got sat down, and because the church wasn't doing well, I became the scapegoat for it. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm, I am not perfect in that season or situation. But what ended up happening was I was gossiped about like you wouldn't believe. I was kind of blacklisted and blackballed in my own sphere of influence. The people that I grew up with, some people that I grew up with more than 15 years acted like they didn't even know me or that I existed. During that season, there's bouts of depression. People coming to me and going, are you, are you saved anymore from what I heard from this person and that person? And I just remember hearing the Lord say to me, keep silent. I will fight your battles. I know that you want to defend yourself. I know that you want to stand up for yourself, but keep silent. And in that season, as I wanted to defend myself, God was pruning me. 
And He was showing me multiple things. Most importantly, that I could trust in Him. And that one day, there would be greater fruit that came from this pruning. And I'm standing here as proof that there, there is greater fruit that came from that pruning. If God didn't prune me in that season, if I hadn't abided in Him, I don't think, maybe this would have happened, but I don't think I would have met Dwayne in the season and state that I was. In the humility that I was able to come and just sit under Dwayne and the other pastors down at the church in Florida. The fruit that is now the district church that I get to be a part of, I see now that I was being pruned back in Florida for. And so if you are going through a season of pruning in your life right now, my, I just want to tell you, don't despise it. Don't grow weary in it. Abide in Christ. The season may be longer than you expected. But He is working. As Romans 8 tells us, He is working all things for good for those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. He tells us in Galatians 6-9, let us not grow weary of doing good things, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Don't grow weary. Don't despise the seasons of pruning because greater fruit will eventually come. And this is what happens when we abide in Jesus this is His promise to us that in order for us to bear more fruit, He has to prune us. And that pruning ultimately brings us joy. Look at verse 11. Jesus says this, These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be Joy is the promise for those who abide in Christ. This joy isn't just happiness. This joy is a delight rooted in God no matter the circumstance. Rooted in the gospel that God gives to us in Jesus. This profound delight that comes into our lives day in and day out. It's the promise that if you are abiding in Jesus, fruit will come, your heart will change to the things of the Lord, and your joy will be full. There are so many things in this world that try to steal our joy. I think Ben Franklin's the one that says comparison is the thief of joy. Right? And he's right. We can look at families around us, and we can compare our kids to theirs and think, we're not good parents compared to that family. We can compare our churches to others and wonder why we can't have the things that they have or what God is doing in the midst of their church. We can become envious of others' financial situations by comparing our lives to theirs. There are circumstances in life that can try to steal our joy. This pandemic, cancer, sickness, anxiety of the future, worry of the future. Riley, I'm, I'm thankful as always when you share your heart because I, I love hearing that. 
And I can see that worry can steal and rob that joy that Jesus has given to you and given to us when we abide in Him. So brother, just keep abiding because He loves you. I want to ask this question this morning. What robs you of joy? What robs you of joy? All the stresses of this world can weigh on you, but Jesus' promise is that you, when you abide in Him, you receive fullness of joy in life, in Him. David knew this as he wrote in Psalm 16, You make known to me the path of life in your presence. There is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Asaph said this in Psalm 73 when he says, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire more than you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. John 6, in the first I am a passage, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. And when he gets to the end of his sermon or the end of his discourse, he says, in order to have life in me, you must eat of my bread and drink of my blood. And that freaks everyone out. And so only 12 disciples stay with him. And he looks to those 12 disciples and he says, are you going to leave too? And Peter steps up and says, Lord, where else would we go? For you hold the words of eternal life. Abiding in Jesus leads to joy. Joy that is unshakable no matter the circumstances of life. So I'm going to close by going back to our main point. The means of gospel formation. The source of our gospel formation comes from abiding in Jesus. And we do this by faith. Faith in Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of our faith. We exercise this faith through gospel remembrance and gospel obedience. And this abiding in Him allows us to enjoy our eternal abiding that He gives to us in Christ. And through that, we bear fruit. We are pruned in order to be more made into the image of Christ, to look more like Him. And we are ultimately filled with great joy. The fullness of joy that Jesus says we have in Him. And each week we close our gatherings by celebrating this beautiful reality of being attached to the true vine. It's the Lord's Supper. It's celebrating communion together. You see, our need, as we talked about, was that we needed to be clean and we needed to be reconciled to God because of our sin. And in Christ, He reconciled us in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And we get to celebrate that. As believers, we celebrate that daily. But as the church, the gathered saints here, we get to celebrate that together. Underneath your seats is... Alec was able to grab some for everybody. We've got bread and juice. And what greater way to celebrate our eternal abiding with Jesus by partaking in communion together. And I know those of you who are watching every week, I, I, I know that you long to be here, and I, I can't wait for you guys to be here soon. But in this time, what I would say is just take a moment to reflect on this passage, to pray and think about all that God has for you. Thanks, brother. And for those of us here, 
This passage ends with a very famous verse in John 15, 13. It says, Greater love has no one than this, that someone would lay down their lives for their friends. And I want you to think about that for a second before we take communion. Because who can actually lay down his life? Tim Keller answers this question by saying, if I see you in peril and I step in and risk my life and lose it, it's not true that I've actually given my life for you. I have actually sacrificed a few more years and I have given you a few more. I can't give you my life because my life is already forfeited. I was going to die anyway. And the Bible says that death is an executioner of all. No one voluntarily dies. All of us have death coming to us. Jesus is the only friend who didn't have to die at all, and yet He did for those who He calls friends. You see, Jesus didn't have the sting of death upon Him, but He chose to enter into this world and humble Himself going to the cross in order to clean us, to redeem us, to bring us into the family of God in order that we can be brothers and sisters and ultimately His friends. He did this for you and He did this for me by the breaking of His body and the shedding of His blood on the cross so that you and I could be friends of God. So as we celebrate communion this morning, my prayer is that we would remember this that we would reflect on this and then we would celebrate in this. That God has made, in Jesus, has made us friends of His. That He has cleaned us and reconciled us and drew us near to Him when we were far off. So I'm going to read 1 Corinthians 11 this morning and then we're going to celebrate this beautiful reality that we have as brothers and sisters in Christ. As Paul writes, For I have received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, for this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink in remembrance of me, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, We proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. Brothers and sisters, let's proclaim this death this morning and we can close in prayer. Lord, thank You for the grace that You've shown to us that in Jesus we have eternal abiding that then allows us to live our lives in such a way that we can show gratitude to You and that we can bear fruit so that others around us can see the beauty of the Gospel. Lord, help us this morning as we see seasons of life of pruning, that that is there in order for us to grow more fruit so that our joy would be full in You. Lord, help this truth remind us that this is, this is our source. That Jesus is the true vine, that source of life that we need to cling to in all that we do. 
It's for your glory and our great joy. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to a sermon from the District Church. For more information about us, please visit www.thedistrict.church. Additionally, if any of our sermons have brought encouragement to you, would you please let us know by emailing us at info at